Hello, Annie Trenders. Welcome to the Girl Taku, hosted by the ladies of Anime Trending. We are back with another fun topic on the table. My name is Gracie, and I'm joined by. Hello, I am Isabel, and this is Agnes. So, without further ado, the Girl Taku today will be about. Non Japanese animated series, which I know is kind of a mouthful, but I think everyone can tell that, you know, animated series as a whole aren't just from Japan per se. And uh, there are certain other countries who create shows that actually, in many ways, resemble anime. So, Honestly, it's it's kind of a funny thing because I researched this and I'm like, the only reason why anime is called anime is specifically it's from Japan, per se. But they're, they're sort of art style that is very distinct and the sort of stories that they adapt or tell via their animated form isn't something that is relegated only to Japan. For example, there are Chinese anima- animation series that actually look a lot like just Japanese anime. As a quick example of another country that does create these shows. And they have started to increase in numbers as of late, in the same way that webtoons and manhwas are, have, and donghua have increased in uh, popularity throughout the years alongside manga. And uh, at least my opinion of observing other people is that it's either you're pretty chill with it. Or you either have like this sort of raging hatred for this, uh, for this very similar to anime sort of style and series uh, that is rising into popularity. So today we are going to talk about our experience and our opinions on the overall rise of these different types of animated series that resemble anime but aren't actually made in Japan. And, you know, cover some of our favorites and share how we feel about it. So... With that being said, Agnes, you are the one starting off, so I'm going to shoot off some quick questions at you for you to answer real quick before we start talking about any series. Number one, how do you feel about the distinction of what's considered anime and what isn't? Two, have you, how many or how often do you watch series that resemble anime but aren't actually Japanese anime and three you know how do you feel about the ones that you have watched so far for sure yeah so to answer your first question which is about um oh shoot you you made you made you shot off so many questions I actually don't remember them off the top of my head <laughs> uh reiterate your your first question again and, uh, and we'll go one by one from that <laughs> okay okay sorry it, make, it makes it easier on my brain yeah yeah no no problem so uh, the first question I have is, how do you feel about the distinction of anime versus other countries' animated media that very much resemble anime? You know, does it okay, bother I see, I see. you like that there is a distinction, or does it bother you that they seem to be, quote-unquote, as some people claim, copying the style? Like, what is your overall opinion on it? So when I was a young wee lass, I used to be those deep people who thought that Japanese anime was the best. I was very entitled brat. And seeing that there were, you know, like Chinese donghuas and Korean manhuas that were slowly catching up, I thought to myself, like, they, they, they cannot have the perfect animation and the perfect stories compared to a Japanese anime. That, that was we last me in middle school and high school. But as the years went by, I realized that a lot of these countries are trying to put in a lot of effort into creating an animation show that appeals to a wider and a more mature audience rather than an audience that is full of kids. Because like, like we think about with Japanese anime, Japanese anime was actually inspired by Disney, if anything. And then Disney was also inspired by Japanese anime, if anything. And so it kind of is foolish to say that one type of animation reigns higher than everybody else because, to be honest, everybody takes inspiration from others. So the fact that, you know, you have China, you have Korea, and even you have the United States and you have France trying to create animation and spread it to the wider public, I think is fine overall now as an adult and I just kind of sit there and enjoy and hope that they actually have a good story to tell and or are trying their best to become a true like anime or animation studio okay and do you still distinguish uh, these sort of similar styles as separate so you don't call them anime you call them like don't 
Donghua or something like that. Yeah, it's because I grew up in that time period where anime was very distinct from everything else, as in Japanese anime was very distinct, even though the term anime in Japanese just means a broader generalization for animation. So they can say like... um, uh, like French anime uh, animation for them would be like French anime, and in French the the same term is also applied as well. They call it Japanese anime or Francaise anime. It's the same thing, but they both mean animation. Uh, but for me, who grew up explicitly in America, where Japanese anime had a different kind of categorization compared to everything else, I do still kind of instinctively categorize everything. So Chinese would be like a donghua. Um, and then Korean animation would be Korean animation because it doesn't have a term currently, but Korea does have manhwas as well. Um, and then French animation would be French animation, and the same thing goes for American animation instead of like an American anime. Got it. Alrighty then. So second question is that I have for you is how often do you watch the sort of non-Japanese anime? Do you, like is it a common thing? What would pique your interest, I guess, if it isn't a common thing for you? It's very uncommon for me to watch something that is non-Japanese only because there are so limited streaming websites that actively promote it. Mm. Um, for one, the most popular two out of, I think, the rainy decade would have been RWBY or Ruby from Rooster Teeth. Mm, yeah. Because mm. Rooster Teeth is very, very popular for its, or at least its original creators. Now we're talking about Rooster Teeth in the current month. It's been a dumpster fire currently on Twitter. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but that aside, Rooster Teeth did have a reputation for CGI animation. And because Monty Ohm was at the head of Ruby as the original creator, he took a lot of inspirations from old video games, old animation styles and stuff like that, that really appealed to both the Western audience and the Japanese audience too, which is why Ruby as a series has a manga and an actual anime adaptation by Shaft Studios. Um, And the other one that I can only think of off the top of my head from the current recent year is now Castlevania from Netflix, uh, because that has done really well, and some of the other more mature type of animation, but even then, it doesn't really feel like anime. It feels like something that you would watch on a a late night show of Adult Swim, for instance. Have you watched any, uh, which which is something that has been getting more and more popular. I have been starting to watch more, a little bit more Donghua each time. It is something for me to get used to because I'm not used to the Chinese nuance. I'm not used to the cultural expressions and tone differences and languages from watching a Donghua because it's very different from Japanese anime. Like, you know, when a Japanese anime anime character adopts like a certain voice or it goes like, eh, or like, you know, you know exactly what the hell that kind of scene is, right? You know exactly what is happening in that scene, the cultural context of it and why the characters act the way that they do. But because Donghua is so new, at least to mainstream anime, you look at it and you're like, the Chinese expression and um, exclamations don't quite match up to the animation as smoothly because we're so conditioned to see it in a Japanese format. Got it. And were you the one who watched, uh, who mentioned once about officials' blessings or something like that? Or I that- did. Okay, okay. That was me. Okay, so that was <laughs> I you. mentioned that in our um, LGBTQ uh, episode. Yes, that is, that is correct. Okay, so you have seen some, if nothing. Uh- some, yes. I've started, like, slowly getting into it. So, like, after Isabel keeps talking about Link Clink every, like, season <laughs> or so of, like, of our episodes on Girl Taku, I've been slowly trying to watch Link Click. I watched um, Psychic Princess, which is, like, a big, like, Chinese donghua, like, rom-com. But the second half actually is not bad. Um, and I've been slowly trying to get more into it because now Crunchyroll is currently offering them. The only issue with Crunchyroll is that because they're under contract with Bilibi, they're only allowed to release like season three and onwards. They're not allowed to release season one and two. So that still kind of deters me from sitting down and actually watching it. Got it. Alrighty, so let's move on to our third section or question slash topic in that case or subsection within the topic. Can you tell I'm a professional when I say that? <laughs> it's okay. It's a safe space. We're all we're all non professionals <laughs> here at Girl Talk. So in this case, you have seen your share of it. Maybe not a lot, but certainly enough to you know 
uh, cover a hand, let's say, how which two shows would you like to sort of discuss further on in regards to spotlighting it and your overall experience with it? For sure, yeah. So, as in, like, as in, like, the two shows that I would like to highlight for this podcast. Yes, right? yes, exactly. Essentially, okay, because you're, like, throwing a lot of words and my brain was like, wait, what, what's the deeper context behind this? Okay. <laughs> the two shows that I would like to highlight for this episode that I think did fairly well and I think kind of starts to rise up to the occasion of being an animation or a non-Japanese anime that I would still call as something that I would, like, rewatch or something that I would... Uh, recommend to people uh the first one would be heaven's official blessing okay you do want to talk about that okay (laughs) yes i do want to talk about it because it was an introduction to me so i knew that for several years you know on and off of tumblr on and off of social media there was a big um there was a big you know like boon of jap of chinese donghua especially with this uh bl romance coming out of china uh, by uh, MXDS. I had a lot of friends who were really into it and a lot of friends who also cosplayed into it. And at first, I was kind of eh about MXDS because I've heard a lot of other interesting things within the original uh, source material. So they're originally like novels, the BL novels of non-con type of stuff. And, you know, the kind of tropes that you would hear in like a yaoi mm-hmm. type of anime or like a yaoi kind of source material. And so at the time, I was not interested. I was like, I kind of don't want to engage in it. I don't I don't feel as drawn to this as I would be to a typical anime show or even an anime manga about LGBTQ. Why would I want to go into it? And then Funimation decided to start streaming. As Funimation at the time before it merged with Crunchyroll decided to start streaming stuff from Bilibi. Um, and one of their first shows was actually Hef- Heaven's Official Blessing. It wasn't their uh, MXDS's more popular novel, The Grandmaster of Cultivation. It was Heaven's Official Blessing. And because Heaven's Official Blessing, although it was created by the same author, it sort of is separate from the original series of The Grand Demotic Master of Cultivation. And so I was like, okay, this kind of feels like a fresh starting point for me to, you know, get into this and understand why it's such a big deal. And I was kind of blown away with the execution of Heaven's Official Blessing. Arguably, it is like Chinese high fantasy, which means that there are a lot of cultural and contextual layers to it that you really have to dig deep down to understand and really like love the characters for who they are. But at the same time, it's really fascinating how almost easily it took for this type of series and also for the Donghuas to kind of make it into an anime of itself despite the fact that it's Chinese and it has different cultural contexts as compared to Japanese anime. I felt like I was watching a Japanese anime and I got swept up in the romance. I got swept up in the high fantasy. I got swept up in the mystery of it all. And at the end of the day, the animation was pretty okay. It was pretty bearable. And I enjoyed every second of it when I was watching it. I remember you probably, or you might not actually, but remember how at first you, when we talked about this show, you had described a scene that you found to be really beautiful and they were walking. Yeah. Okay. So, and you had sent me a screenshot of it because, you know, I had to promote our episode on Twitter and stuff. And the funny thing is when I was working with that screenshot, you know, my mom walked by me at that time. So I was with my parents when I was uh, making the tweet and the post about it. And she saw that screenshot and she knows nothing about that show. And it instantly called out to her. Like it was an instant connection between her as someone who is native from China and immigrated over to the US and that screenshot. And she immediately stopped and was like, oh, that's very beautiful. And I that's I always think about that whenever, you know, you mention this anime simply because it was such a shocking moment for me. I did not expect that sort of instant connection that my mom would feel from just seeing a screenshot of the show. And it also ties into what you were saying about, you know, it was very culturally, it was really culturally embedded with like Chinese culture and stuff. And I'm like, well, you're absolutely There was a right. lot, <laughs> Gracie, there was a lot. Like I'm not Chinese. I don't understand a lot of, I, I only studied very little Chinese history when I was in college. Like, I didn't have a particular minor in college, so I never had a hyper-focus, so I dabbled here and there. Chinese history was one of those time periods that I struggled with the most because it's so expansive. There's so many 
layers of language, context, of culture and tradition, and they throw that all in your face by like episode two of Heaven's Official Blessing because they go through the whole introduction of who the gods are, the minor deities, the ones that have been cultivating their like magical power, their their chi basically to become like elevated beings. Like it's completely different. I would say, quote unquote, magical system that I'm not used to even seeing. Mm. So that is an example of like very heavy Chinese context that I wouldn't have known if I hadn't tried to look up some of this stuff or if I hadn't tried to like sit there and like reconnect the dots and go, okay, I think I understand how the system works, you know? So was it overwhelming for you in that case? At the beginning. Okay. At the beginning, it was. There were a lot, of, like you said, mentioned before in the uh, the post for the Raven Consort mm-hmm. where yeah. uh, Chinese names have a lot of different names and nicknames and titles. They did exactly that, like that in Heaven's Official Blessing <laughs> too. And I was like, who is who again? Like, you know, anime is nice. Japanese anime is nice because every person has one name. Maybe a title of like, like the Dark Knight or something like that in Japanese, whatever. But they literally have two names. That's it. That's all you need to remember. If not, then they have like cute little nicknames. That's very easy to remember. Like, suck, like for instance, like uh, Sakura in Naruto, you know is Sakura because Sakura is also cherry blossom, which is pink, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. It's a very easy association. The Chinese names in Heaven's Official Blessings is like five different names for each person. And I'm like, who's who again? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just sitting there trying to absorb every episode while being like, wow, this is such a nice story, but it's so deep and my brain is not wrinkly enough to understand this. <laughs> so I did struggle. I did struggle, but overall, I did enjoy the challenge and I did enjoy the execution of season one okay. at the very least. That's great. Oh, and for the listeners, uh, for, for a bit of context, if you guys aren't following us on Twitter, so I am Chinese and it is actually pretty common in Chinese culture to have multiple names. And it's it's really just one formal name and all the rest of them are nicknames, but those nicknames are used so often that you essentially respond to them as your names. And it's not something as simple as Benjamin, so your nickname is Ben. Oftentimes the names have like completely different meanings and they sound nothing like each other. So for reference, I have around like five Chinese names that I react to openly. My cousins all have around five Chinese names that they that they react to. And just a quick sort of example of my own name. It's like so my formal name is Chu Chang. So one of the more like easier to understand nickname is Chang Chang, which, you know, you can tell from like the syllables that it sounds similar to my formal name. But then I also have Bao Bei, which sounds nothing like uh, Cha Cha or Chu Cha, but I respond to it instantly. And so uh, it's it's a thing. It's a cultural thing. And I always forget about it until someone points it out. And they're like, why do these people have so many names? And I'm like, oh, yeah, it's not common in anywhere else. So uh, so that's what Agnes was referring to. But all right. So if that is your first uh, anime you want to spotlight, what is the second one? The second one should be pretty obvious, <laughs> but the my favorite one that is a non-Japanese animation would be Castlevania ah, okay. on Netflix. Mm-hmm. And this should be pretty obvious because I did spotlight Castlevania very recently in our most like inspirational anime series. Yes. But mm-hmm. I think the one reason why I love Castlevania so much is that it is such a good game adaptation and you can feel the love to create the original story of Castlevania, but to take new elements and to incorporate it into it as a show and really elevate the animation to what it is now. Um, Because we really talk about how in Castlevania, you know, or like in video game adaptations of animes especially, it's very difficult to hone down in the story. A lot of times the story will meander or the animation quality suffers quite a bit or sometimes it just doesn't make any sense in an anime context, but it makes sense in a video game context. Um, but in Castlevania, they managed to take all of the characters that were featured in uh, mostly symf- the Symphony of the Night, I think, was what the, the animation series was based off of, and really weave together a compelling narrative, specifically for an animation about the rise of um, Alucard and the fall of Dracula. And that, I thought, was 
just fantastic. And every character has its importance in the story. None of them are wasted as well. So I felt like it was a, a non-anime Japanese animation series that really deserves the recognition. Mm-hmm. And I uh, and I believe the creator, like he, is very heavily influenced by Japanese anime, like Helsing and something like that. Yes, right? yes. Most of the cast uh, or the developers of Castlevania, the Netflix animation, were very heavily uh, inspired by anime. Exactly. Alrighty then. So in that case, I know I'm supposed to go next, but I'm going to be honest with you guys, real quick up front. I don't watch a lot of non-Japanese anime so I don't really have as much to contribute per se so I'm gonna go ahead and move to you Isabel in this case so whatever minutes we have left I'll, I'll just fill in that, that way um so if anything if anything if we don't have anything other non-Japanese anime to talk about we can also talk about the the bad side of non-Japanese anime and the, those that actually did suffer unfortunately because then I think that's like a wider dearth of non-Japanese anime that didn't do as well. True. Recognition. Yeah, that, that is true. Uh, yeah, so we might do that, uh, depending on, you know, what Isabel says. So, Isabel, I'm going to go ahead and move to you first in that case. I have the same three questions for you as well, so do you want me to repeat them? <laughs> yeah, just a reminder, or just, yeah, go through them one okay. by one. So, the first question I have for Agnes that I would like to ask you is, how do you see the distinction between anime, as in, like, Japanese anime, versus the non-Japanese anime, and how do you feel about the distinction? Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, similar to Agnes, uh, I think the distinction for me has been, um, you know, always, if it's anime, then it's Japanese-based, or Japanese creators are behind it, it's intended for a Japanese audience, and then secondly, maybe a worldwide audience. And I think it's been harder to kind of distinguish that because if you really, yeah, if you really look at it, there's all types of animation, whether it's cartoons or even, you know, stuff that comes out of Disney or Pixar, like 3D, mm -hmm. that's still animation as well, you know? So if we, you know, look at it in a broader sense, if we just say animation, there's, there's just so much out there, right? Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, for me, if it's um, anime in particular, I would just limit it to something made by Japanese people, you know, directed mostly uh, for Japanese people. And then um, and then that's how I distinguish everything else. And then also for Chinese anime, I would try to call this Donghua. Mm -hmm. I don't know what Korean series might be, but, you know, we have Korean series made in conjunction with, you know, uh, with Japanese animators and staff so that's that becomes hard to distinguish as well especially if the story i'm just thinking for example like tower of god that was originally yeah, right a korean webtoon. yeah and then like uh what was it uh god of high school mm -hmm. yeah both of those were korean manhwas adapted by japanese studios yeah and then we also had you know japanese voice actors behind it so it, it for me I, you know i still classify it as anime but i i wish there was a way for you know to have it in the Korean sense as well, just to see that. Um, but yeah, that's kind of like my definition of how I go off of by. And how do you also feel about this rise of non-Japanese animation that is in the anime style? I think it's great. I like to see other animations. Um, I don't like, I've drawn, I've moved myself away from American series so much because I see them as things that I viewed when I was a younger child. Mm. Um, so like if I were someone growing up now, I might see that differently. Like I might only watch American shows or American animated shows. Or if I drew, grew up in a respective country like um, like China, for example, I might just watch only Donghuas or things like that. And I like the fact that they're, they're making more of these. So it's um, something that you, you can probably relate to, like especially... Uh, for Donghuas, if you grew up in Chinese culture, you'll understand the cultural context a lot more compared to other people who are not so familiar with it. And they would, you know, you would appreciate it, appreciate it more than other people that might not totally understand it. Um, but also is a good way for other people to watch and maybe learn about the cultures that they didn't know about. So, you know, if you ever go to that country, you'll know what to expect or what, how, you know, how, for example, like we talked about the names and how people call their names and things like that. So you're not as confused. 
All right. So then my second question to Agnes and same to you was how often do you watch these non-Japanese animated series that resemble anime a lot? How, like, you know, is there a number that you can say and what about them of the ones that you have like picked to choose to watch? Like what always stands out to you about them? Yeah, right now I've been leaning a lot more into Donghwa's because for me that's the most similar to anime. Okay, um, interesting. <laughs> yeah, and then I think for other shows, like I've seen Ruby and Castlevania as well, um, which I think are great, but I've only seen them like more recently. Um, well, I started Ruby and then I dropped it completely, sadly. <laughs> I don't I, blame you. I, I've heard stories as to what happened, so... <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, I really, like, I still need, like, for, I need it to be, I guess I need it to be on Netflix, for example, for me to, like, kind of binge watch through it, um, or just have a lot of hype behind it. I think, actually, yeah, I think, yeah, if there's a series I've only seen on, on Netflix, I would say, if it's on the streaming platform that I'm already on, then I will take a look at it, especially if it's recommended to me at this point. Um, but otherwise, I don't really go search for it unless I do, unless I see someone talking about it, really. Okay. And in that case, which of these shows that you have seen that you would spotlight for this episode? Yeah, the first one I want to highlight is the Donghua series. Um, it, I think it was my first one that I had ever seen fully in Chinese. And oh, okay. It, kind of, it blew me away because I thoroughly enjoyed it. And the complete series is not on a streaming service, it's just on YouTube. Um, and it's called Rakshasa Street. I don't know if either of you have heard of that. I, I may have mentioned it on a podcast once, but I can't remember. Only the title sounds familiar to me, but I don't think I've actually watched it or read the synopsis for it. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I really like that because it, it was a, it, the way that they told the story was different from any anime I've seen. I don't know if you, maybe you have seen a Japanese anime like this, but the way they tell the story is that one, it's in the present, and then the next episode will be in the past. Oh, so, it's timeline hopping. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so like these things you'll only mostly read in books, right? Like chapter one will right. be this, chapter mm -hmm. two be like this, and then they'll continue that way throughout the whole book. So I was very intrigued by how they would finish this, all right? Or like when the timelines converge. And they actually converge at the very end. And not only that, each episode is related to the next episode. So I was, it felt like, you know, I was taking steps like on a ladder or something one by one, learning more about the story, but also trying to keep the two stories separate because I know that the timeline is different um, between the episodes. Was it a mystery? Like, what was the purpose of the timeline hopping or the time hopping, I guess? It was a mystery and also telling the backstory. Um, so the, the idea behind Rakshasa Street is that there's these requiem streets, as they call it, for um, people who have died and their, sp and their spirits waiting to get sent to their next destination. Mm. And then they and then but then if they stay too long in that street, you know, they might become an evil spirit. And so these streets, they have requiem generals so they're kind of like spirit hosts who have guardian spirits and they use those guardian spirits to destroy or do away with the evil spirits so they don't touch the normal spirits and and so we meet this girl character Shaling, who goes into the world she doesn't realize she has a spirit general but she has a really strong or sorry um guardian spirit she has a really strong one, and so she meets these two brothers who have been manning the street. They're, um, one of them is the general of the street. And so they, um, you know, they kind of go through adventures together. She learns about that, and then the, so that's like the present line. Um, and then the past timeline, it's just a story between the two brothers, really. So from when the younger brother was born to how they had, how they, you know, um, became orphans and then, but still tried to carry on that family tradition of uh, being the general of the street and, you know, watching over the spirits and things like that. So that's kind of like the story. Like the story is very like family, like brother based, very sweet, I think. And then also very action packed as well. Um, 
especially in the pre present series when they do have to defeat the evil spirits. But you'll see it's definitely Chinese and cultural in nature because the general that he has is a general that because their family is uh, from the Cao, Cao Cao's family. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so like, that's the idea. And then there's like a general that had, um, you know, protected them when they were in the three kingdoms. And that has been passed down through generations. And so that's what that's their um, guardian spirit for that street. So that's that. So like, if you appreciate that type of historical context, and then not only that, just seeing how, you know, these two, these characters, you know, are going to navigate the evil spirits and things like that. I think it's I think it was a great watch in that sense. So this might be a dumb question or an ignorant question, Isabel, but you can read Chinese, right? Uh, barely. My level is probably like elementary, preschool level. It's really bad, so I can't. Okay, and, and but you, I guess like you have some cultural ties to like Chinese like culture, right? Or am I just is completely yeah, wrong on this right. matter. Ethnic, ethnically, I am Chinese, so my okay, yeah, are. okay, mm -hmm. okay, perfect. Yeah. So, did you feel connected in that sense with the more Chinese cultural aspects, since you yourself are also like Chinese, ethnically speaking? <laughs> yeah, I did connect with that, like especially the ideas about guardian spirits and things like that. Those are things that my family believes in mm -hmm. um and so i can like i was like oh this is stuff that i can actually see that i don't really see maybe in american shows or things like that so diving deeper into that and then also like family values that are similar to mine um that that was uh, represented in the anime so i did like watching that part at least okay got it yeah that's perfectly what i wanted to ask so if that is the first one you want to spotlight, what is the second one? Is it Link Click? I'm taking a guess. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I swear this will be the last time I talk about Link Click, okay? Uh, but yeah. <laughs> it does not have to be the last time. It does not have to be the last time. <laughs> we should keep a, a live tally of the, the Link Clicks that were mentioned. Yeah, yeah, that's like. true. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why. I like it so much. It's... It's just so awesome when i watched it i don't know it was like emotionally driven for me and then the fact that it wasn't you know the the characters i really liked as well and just the concept of being able to go back into time but through a photo i just thought that was amazing like when i watched the trailer for it at first i didn't expect much especially since it was you know um it was supposed to be Donghua, so I'm like, oh, it could be like any other show. I mean, it could be great, but it could not be. So I was kind of scared for it in the beginning. But after watching the trailer a couple of times, I also really liked the music behind it as well. Um, and then so after every episode, just diving deep into people's stories and things like that. And then all of that tying into kind of the last few episodes, I, I was thoroughly pleased with the anime <laughs> or the Donghua. Yeah. You started watching it, Agnes. How far did you get? I think I only got to episode two, only because I was distracted with a lot of other stuff. You on are the side. not far in enough. <laughs> no, I'm not far in. But I will say that I am rather impressed with Link Click, and I didn't expect like emotions to be pulled and tugged. The most recent one, I think the one that resonates with me the most, is that second episode of the two women who are setting up the noodle shop mm -hmm. in Link Click, and I felt like oh man, there feels to be like there's an awkward like Yuri tension in there and it just kind of hurts mm. and it's just really nice to watch because like you can interpret it as like so many different ways and you can clearly tell like, you know, one person wanted to make the dish for the other but then the other was too business minded and it just becomes this whole like misunderstanding and the, this culmination of like reuniting together at like a smaller shop later on in life and I thought that was very touching. The first one, I think, kind of freaked me out a little bit because of how dark it turns at the very end. Because mm. it's the one where they try to go back in time to steal a client's infor uh, a, a rival, a business rival's client's information through the lenses of a young biz of a young office worker who's working there, so working overtime and is like really demoralizing. And at the end of the story, you think like, you know, she's about to go home, she's about to quit her job, you know, return back to normal life. And then you realize at the very end 
that they didn't actually make someone's wish come true and someone's life was already forsaken. And I was like, wow, this is a weird tonal shift. So that's why I was a little bit freaked out and I kind of like went into episode two a bit cautiously. I will continue to try to watch Link Click. It's only because I've been having like a pretty bad burnout recently of watching anime and I've been slowing down my pace quite a bit. But regardless, I will pick it up back soon. So I have a question for you now, Isabel. Did you cry? <laughs> Yes, I did. I feel like any anime I cry, I'm just like, okay, it's like, it gets extra points on my list or something. (laughs) So would you say Link Click is the only anime that you've cried to that would get extra points on your list? Or would you have any other recommendations, I guess? Other, like, non-Japanese anime or just, like, in general? Oh, I meant, like, in general. In general. Like, in general. Because, like, I I don't think I've ever heard you on a podcast mention about crying over an anime so as much as Link Click. Oh, yeah, I feel like there's some, but the one that stands out to me, Gintama, also made me cry, which is surprising. Okay. Um, was it tears of laughter or both? <laughs> both, actually. Okay. So, yeah, that stood out to me. And Bungo Stray Dogs. Really? Yeah, actually. Mostly because of Dazai. Yeah, just like... I'm trying to guess. Was it with... Um... Oda, Oda Saka? Is that his name? Oh yeah, gosh. Oda. Oda Saka? Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. that's the best part of Bungo Stray Dogs that would make you cry, but yeah, <laughs> I was also having a hard time picturing why else you would cry over Bungo Stray Dogs. I was like, would, is there anything else for <laughs> someone to cry out about Bungo Stray Because like, it's a very like, stereotypically like shonen show. So I didn't expect, but yeah, the Oda Saka part was really good. I do agree with that. But yeah. Um, let's go back to, I guess, the, the non-Japanese animation then, since you, uh, mentioned already, uh, Link Click and Raksha Street. Did you have any other ones that you wanted to spotlight, or memorable ones, at least, that you've had since you've started watching more non-Japanese anime, or at least, like, Donghua's, as compared to, like, me or Gracie? Yeah, so other shows I like to highlight are actually maybe cartoon shows that I saw in the past, but, you know, if- Okay. If it was- Let's pretend if it was in Japanese, I would just say it's anime. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh-huh. The two shows I was I really liked, Kim Possible and... Okay. <laughs> I you guys watched I, I'll vibe with that. I'll vibe with that. <laughs> that was such a vibe. Um, and then the other one was Totally Spies. I had totally forgot about that one. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Cl- two American classics yeah. for animations. Absolutely. I really like them. I totally Spies is definitely one of the shows I remember. I just really liked watching the girls just do their thing. And not only that, have like special makeup tools that could be used as spy material. Mm-hmm. So I would be obsessed with that. I would actually try to get my parents. I think that's the fun part, too, is that if it was those types of shows or anything maybe Kim Possible related, but I don't think I got anything like that. But I try to get similar things um, bought, like kind of like those toys that you could play around with. I think, right, right, right. I, think yeah. I had a phone that should have that something was like it was like a fake phone obviously but like I was I was trying to pretend that it, I was like Kim Possible. Oh, that's like that. so cute. <laughs> that is cute. Yeah. <laughs> it's always interesting looking back at old cartoons and realizing how much they were influenced by the anime style like you saying that reminds me of Teen Titans because I was really into Teen Titans as a Teen Titans yeah. Go was good. Go or Teen good. Titans uh, itself? <laughs> Oh, Teen Titans itself, Teen Titans itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay, because Go is, like, the current one that everyone hates. <laughs> oh, no, Go, Go is cursed. That's right, Go is cursed. The OG, the OG was good. <laughs> yeah, so the funny thing is I rewatched the cartoon show, like, in its completion when I was in college uh, for several good reasons. One of them is actually because I wasn't very fluent in English yet when I was watching those cartoons, so a lot of stuff, like, flew over my head in regards to what the story was trying to tell, and now that I am fully fluent in English. I can actually understand everything that they're saying. But it was fun rewatching it because I was like, wait, they have chibi faces. Like when they get flustered or, you know, when they yeah, get yeah, like yeah, yeah. angry, like if they legit turn into chibis before they go back into their like usual like design. I was like, this is very obviously heavenly, uh, heavenly. This is very obviously inspired by the Japanese anime style. And then I did some research into it and I realized it goes back even further because actually Teen Titans itself had like a core team of Japanese animators in Japan 
that they worked with and studied with just so they could learn the anime like art style to apply to the Teen Titans show. And because of that, that is why Teen Titans actually has a Japanese opening theme song because and even their movie like takes place in Tokyo and stuff like that because they have such deep ties to the actual Japanese animation process for anime. And I was like, that's really, really cool. And so that was like a fun little thing that I really enjoyed like, looking at as an adult because you know, you, it's just, it's always a nice surprise to be like, wow, like that is, you can tell, like that's influenced by anime. So yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I do remember we rewatching a couple Teen Titan scenes here and now between now and college. And now that I've seen so much anime, I can really pick out the influences that they have for Teen Titan. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, so, okay, I guess now, oh, well, first of all, Isabel, is there anything else you wanted to highlight before I just move it back to myself? <laughs> no, yeah, that was all. So, yeah, I'd like to hear what you have next. So, for me, so, like I said, I don't really watch non-Japanese anime simply because I watch so much anime. I was just talking to the girls earlier for the listeners that I have seven anime to watch on Saturday, and I'm just thoroughly exhausted from watching them. But the funny thing for me is to answer my first question is I, so I was like you, Agnes, when I was in high school, there was this sort of, you know, instinctive denial on the fact that any other countries can replicate, you know, the Japanese anime style. And if I do see that they replicate it, there's a part of me that gets very defensive for some reason and like kind of angry about it. Obviously, I am a lot more chill about it. It's not that big of a deal for me anymore. And, you know, anything is, you know, it's like you guys said, art influences art. So it shouldn't come as a surprise with the rise of anime's popularity that other countries are adopting its styles and its storytelling format. However, the, the ironic thing for me is when I think about my high school days where I have that sort of defensive reaction to other countries creating series that look like anime is the fact that as a kid, I couldn't actually distinguish between Japanese anime and Donghua, which is the Chinese anime, because growing up, I watched U.S. cartoons, which that I could distinguish between because they are speaking in English and it's a language that I didn't really understand. But I did also watch a lot of Japanese anime for kids as well as Chinese uh, animation for kids. And I couldn't distinguish between them because of the fact that the Japanese animation for kids would often be Chinese dubbed. And so I was listening to Chinese dubbed Japanese anime and then actual Chinese animation. And I thought they were all made in China because their art style, their animation, the, their storytelling format, everything are almost exactly the same. So it's it's always a weird thing to think back to on the fact that you know, I go from actually not being even able to distinguish the difference between Japanese anime and Chinese donghua to actually being very sort of, I wouldn't say vitriol, but being defensive and aggressive about the fact that other countries are quote unquote copying the Japanese anime style to now where I'm like, you know what, art influences art. This is something that's just going to happen, you know, and it has been happening for a long time since we were born, per se. So that is sort of my answer to my first question. And I kind of answered my second question already, which is the fact that I don't really watch these things. So I can't really say anything of, you know, modern that I have watched. So instead, I'm going to go ahead and continue Isabel's topic with Link Click because I did watch that recently. But funnily enough, even that wasn't my choice. It was my roommate who decided to watch it as a pastime for her um, when she was doing uh, when she was doing her hobby in the living room. And I just decided to randomly tag along for some of the episodes for like the first episode, you know, just out of curiosity, because I was like, Isabel talked about this. I know Isabel really liked it. And so my tagging along was me peeking in to look at what was happening on the television and then sitting down on the couch and never leaving. Because <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed it a lot. And probably the funniest thing is I 
you didn't give me a hint that it was going to be very emotional and sad or as Agnes said, even take a dark turn. Like I knew that, you know, like time traveling was involved and, you know, you mentioned it in the morally gray episode of like how much should you be allowed to change the past and stuff. But I wasn't expecting such intense things (laughs) that happened in the series. And so that really threw me in for a loop. And One of the funniest experience I had when I was watching Link Click is, uh, so I was watching it and one of my friends from college had gone down to Houston to see her boyfriend as well as, you know, because her boyfriend's also in Houston, she was, she and her boyfriend were going to come and see me as well. And I could feel like my tears and emotions were like slowly bubbling up in my chest and doing whatever it took to like swallow it down. But then the episode reached like a climax where things just didn't go the way that the protagonist wanted it to go. And this is the one with the earthquake, by the way, Isabel. So, okay, okay. Yeah, so to give you a reference on what it, which episode it was. So, and and I like, and I told my roommate, I was like, I need to leave. <laughs> I need to leave this apartment and not see the rest of the episode because I'm about to go pick up my friend who needs to be let into the apartment and I don't want to be sobbing when I go oh. pick her up. And then it still didn't work because I was like, I left the apartment and I was walking down the stairs and then I started to cry. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no. Yeah, and so I was like, dang it. Like, I, I left too late. It was too late. And so I did still, like, come downstairs to get my room. I'm not my roommate. To get, she used to be my roommate, actually, to get my friend. And and I had tears streak down my eyes. My friend's just like, are you okay? And I was like, I felt this coming and I tried to leave and I left before it could formally happen from watching the episode, but it was too late. Like my heart's already decided was like, you're going to cry. <laughs> like it's time Aww. to cry. So, <laughs> so yeah, so that's my experience with Blink Click. And basically I'm giving an endorsement of what Isabel has been saying this whole time. It is really great. Uh, people should definitely watch it. It's also interesting hearing the Chinese voice acting. My roommate noticed something that I didn't notice until she pointed it out, which is the voice acting in Chinese is when the characters are farther away from the camera, their voices get quieter, like they're actually farther away. And that's something that anime doesn't do. And I don't know if you noticed that, Isabel, when you were watching Link Click. Oh, yeah. I don't think I noticed that. Um, Yeah, at all, really. Yeah, so I didn't notice it either until she pointed it out because she was like, look, they're farther away and they sound quieter. And I was like, oh, like that is interesting. That seems to be like a Chinese anime thing because she has also like peeked her head into a few other episodes of other Chinese donghua and they did the exact same thing. And it always threw her in for a loop. So that was something that she noticed that I just wanted to bring up really quickly. Uh, so my, if I had to pick a second sort of non-anime sh- or non-Japanese anime show that resembles anime is I would actually uh, point out Avatar The Last Airbender. What do you guys think about that? <laughs> I love Avatar The Last Airbender. It's fantastic. Yeah, same. <laughs> I liked it a lot too. <laughs> Okay, so Avatar The Last Airbender, the reason why it called out to me even as a kid when I was watching was it reminded me more of my childhood uh, shows that I watched, aka my Chinese donghua and those Japanese anime that I didn't know were Japanese. And I thought, I was like, oh... Uh, the U.S. makes these kind of shows, too, because look at their art style, uh, look at their storytelling, you know, look at look at their magic systems and all that stuff. And so that really caught my eye. And for a long time, I actually called Avatar The Last Airbender an anime, even though people were like, no, 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 it's a cartoon. But I was like, it feels different. It doesn't feel the same as those U.S. cartoons. So I just I'm just going to call it an anime. We know for a fact now that Obviously, the creators behind Avatar The Last Airbender were very heavily influenced by anime itself. And if nothing else, we also know that the cultures are all very heavily influenced by different types of Asian cultures, whether it's the Buddhism for the air temples and then uh, 
China Dynasty China is an obvious one for Earth Kingdom, like so obvious from the clothing styles to like even the Earth Kingdom history and how Japan is was used for the Fire Nation, especially during the imperialistic time of Japan when they were, you know, colonizing other parts of Asia. So I so it was just Avatar The Last Airbender has a really special place in my heart for that reason. It was my first time seeing an American show that I like felt a cultural connection to that I really wasn't expecting, obviously with a whole bunch of other stuff involved as well. But yeah, so that would be my second show that isn't really an anime, but I personally think resembles an anime that I wanted to highlight on this episode. Did you guys ever... Did, was it always a cartoon to you guys, or did it ever come to a point where you were like, huh, this kind of feels more like an anime? I never really saw of it as a cartoon. I just rem- I was one of those kids that pirated anime when I was younger. Um, and Avatar The Last Airbender had always been available on an anime website. It was never on a cartoon, like uh, a cartoon-free website with a lot of ads. It was on an anime-free website with a lot of ads. <laughs> So naturally, I never really distinguished Avatar as a cartoon created by Americans. I just thought of it as Americans who really wanted to create something so similar to a Japanese anime. And later on, I found out that the original books that they were based off of, you know, the comic books and the source material were written by an actual Japanese person. I'll bet not in the flavor and the context as an actual Japanese manga because when you read the comics of Avatar The Last Airbender, you can clearly see it's more heavily Western based with the way the panels are done, the way that the text is a lot more condensed. It's not as uh, big and showy on the panels compared to a Japanese manga, but you can feel the spirit and the characterization of Avatar The Last Airbender is very distinct different from a western animation and so then you would say that that would be a japanese animation in itself um how do how about you isabel how did you feel about uh, avatar the last airbender yeah so for me actually i thought it was a cartoon um because i actually oh okay i didn't watch it as a child um because oh. i think it was what was it yeah it was airing on nickelodeon and i like hated all things nickelodeon for some reason <laughs> So I just classified it as that other cartoon that everyone likes, but I will not watch. Wait, so then were you a Cartoon Network kid then? Yes, I was a Cartoon Network kid. Okay, that makes cartoon sense. Network okay, okay. Slash Disney kid, I guess. Um, okay. But yeah, and then so my only exposure to Ala- to Avatar was actually the movie first, the live action, the last. No! <laughs> oh no, Isabel! Oh no, no! That breaks my heart mm-hmm. to hear. <laughs> Yeah, I'm so sorry about that. But yeah, that was like my first exposure to it. And even after watching that, I was still not interested in watching the series. It's the original series itself. Well, I don't blame you. I wouldn't be interested in it either. (laughs) My Shamalan did not do the series justice at all. But yeah, and then so I have to thank my coworkers because they all they all loved it. They had watched it as children. Um, And then so when I actually got around to watching it in 2020, actually, Oh wow! And they that's recent. So they're like, all the shows are here. We can stream it all together. So we went on like, I don't know, like a two week binge or something, watching all the episodes, and and I got hooked into it. I'm like, oh, I I really missed out on this, and I could totally see it now. Like, oh, it's definitely you know influenced by Japanese anime. Or if I were younger and actually watched this, I would have thought that it was anime and no different. Mostly because of the adventures that you know Ong and his. And his uh, friends go through so yeah it really doesn't seem any different in terms of story right and then the way the characters act and their goofy faces so yeah so now i'm glad i watched it so i'm yeah i told my sister today actually she was like you didn't watch airbender i know you didn't and i was like yeah i did and now i can say i did (laughs) 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 was was, did your sister even watch airbender was she like a nickelodeon kid versus you were a cartoon network kid then no uh no yeah so she she pretty much watched everything i did because we would do it together so so you know i get i get to choose what we get to watch but um but first but think i think at some point she watched it by herself and she did tell me to watch it but i didn't listen (laughs) oh i see okay okay i see how this goes (laughs) and i think it's only because my coworkers were like all they were all on board with this so like they dragged me they're like you have to watch this i'm like okay sure and then they wanted me to read the book too so 
Yeah, it takes a village to convince someone to watch anime, right? <laughs> Especially when you grew up saying like, no, I will never watch this in my entire life. <laughs> That's so interesting, though, that you hated Nickelodeon for some reason. <laughs> but at the same time, like, I don't blame you because like Nickelodeon, so like Cartoon Network had a lot of really good shows at that time. And I will say like, even this, I this is like a side tangent, but even like the Star Wars clone TV series in 2008 airing on Cartoon Network is superbly good for what it's worth and a lot of other shows on Cartoon Network versus like Nickelodeon you kind of see it as kind of a bit childish because you have like Drake and Josh on there and stuff like that but it's like rom-com sitcoms you know and that's just about it on Nickelodeon you didn't really see much on Nickelodeon yeah and then after Cartoon Network I think there was also Toonami on the same channel yes. so that's the reason why and Toonami showed like Naruto at night and yeah and with Adult Swim mm-hmm. too like those two were like in deep conjunction because I know like it was Adult Swim would be showing stuff like Cowboy Bebop and stuff like that too right mm-hmm. yeah yeah so that's why I wanted to pick Avatar The Last Airbender I actually will also point out that you can use Avatar as a gateway to anime a lot of my friends who watch anime now from like my childhood, I got them into anime by first watching Avatar The Last Airbender with them and then transitioning to actual anime because of how similar they are to each other. It like the the transition was essentially seamless for that matter. So another show as to why, you know, it, it just felt like an anime, even though ultimately it wasn't one. So yeah, so that was my pick. And then I, so final question for the episode in that case, which, you know, do you still prefer Japanese anime itself over the other countries, you know, animation that looks similar to anime? And why is that? Because I I think it's pretty obvious that obviously I do prefer Japanese anime still, but that's also simply because I've grown so very used to it and at the same time, I always have plenty to watch that I feel very entertained and fulfilled from it. So, you know, my reason is simply because I have a time limit and I just love Japanese anime too much to give up some of it for some of the others uh, countries. But I wanted to extend that question to you two, whoever would like to start first. <laughs> Agnes, you want to go first? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think so far I've become more tolerant with the non-Japanese animation that has been coming out. Like, if there's one that is recently announced, I kind of start looking forward to it rather than kind of dismissing it and think that Japanese anime is superior because, let's be honest, the number of isekais that come out every season makes me more delusional than ever. Yeah, I see what you're saying. how good Japanese anime goes. So at some point, you kind of start looking elsewhere because, you know, there's a lot of things about the Japanese anime industry that you also know when you look at it and the hard facts and you feel like, you know, maybe you're not comfortable watching Japanese anime anymore. Maybe you're not, like in my case, um, sometimes I'm not comfortable with the fact that, you know, a lot of these animators get paid like dirt cheap and it is constantly being publicized and everybody knows about it, but there's nothing to do and they keep churning out big projects. So eventually I do get disillusioned. I do have to like break away and looking into Japanese uh, into at least like Chinese donghuas or even like better paying animation studios from the west you kind of feel like there's a spark of hope Uh, and you feel Mm -hmm. that maybe um, even then even with a better staff better quality studio that the story won't suffer the themes will stay and maybe the show will turn out to be okay in the end so it's a half a bit of delusion um, being uh, disillusioned half of it being optimistic and half of them just being interested to see what is out there still okay yeah no that makes sense and what about you isabel yeah i would agree with that i think i still prefer japanese anime just because there's a lot more to watch in terms of adaptations right other things i can still watch kind of you know one or two of them i would say and so that's kind of my thoughts around that i there's definitely a lot of chinese donghua out there my only problem is that a lot of them they have such great stories, but they're made out of CGI, and it feels like I'm watching a video game instead. Oh. And I just, so I don't, I don't prefer those, and I think the translations are a little bit hard to understand, or it might not be accurate from what I from what I get. 
So that's the other thing that deters me away from watching it because I don't understand it without the subtitles. And then two, it's not 2D animation, it's 3D animation. So I don't think the characters look as great. Like I wish it was made in 2D. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. But yeah, so for 2D, like if they made something because I'm also going towards watching things dubbed now, like I would like to see a more things made in English as well. Um, that can be geared towards adults and things like that. So, but yes, um, I still prefer Japanese anime, but I'm definitely open to watching others as well. Alrighty then. Well, I think that sums up our episode. So thank you everyone for listening. I hope you guys had a fun time with this conversation. I definitely had a fun time uh, asking those questions and getting those answers I was dying to know about. So yeah, and for next week, we will have another fun topic. So I hope you'll be here next time. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye-bye.